All right, hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? All right, man. I was hoping we'd be back with a bang, but um, uh, <laughs> massive lack of sleep. I feel uh-huh. like I'm going to be off the off the pace there. I found myself writing writing some notes before this before we started about a couple of hours ago, and I use a template for every document when I write my notes for the episodes and I just caught myself in time because I was about to start writing in-depth notes about a random Santa Clara game that happened months ago because I hadn't changed the, <laughs> the, the, the game and score <laughs> I was that tired so I could have been talking some nonsense about um <laughs> yeah game months ago but no I'm good man I'm happy to be back how are you I'm very good man Less back with a bang, more back with a yawn, perhaps. Uh, yeah, yeah. But no, we're going to have a great episode, man. As you say, it's great to be back. Had a couple of weeks off, but we were itching to get back, especially at such a crucial week, you know, the penultimate week, penultimate week of the season, so much at stake. And so much was achieved, not least the title being won by Porto after 33 weeks of Primera League of Football. Now, they finally got over the line. Uh, with a 1-0 win in the Estadio de Luz against Benfica. It feels like the last few weeks, Barney, we've kind of been waiting for this to happen. You know, the slip-up against Braga made us all wonder if the title race was back on, but in the end, they got the job done exactly as we expected them to do. In Benfica's backyard, which I think made it a little bit sweeter for all Porto fans, we should say we are going to go more in-depth on Porto's season as a whole in our post-season roundup, we're going to do, yeah, on the last day of the season, we're going to do a post-season roundup and we're going to do an award show. So there's going to be plenty of time to reflect on their season as a whole uh, in depth. But I think it's just worth reflecting quickly, Barney, a word from yourself, just on what this Porto team have achieved this season and how well they've done. Yeah, it's been uh, absolutely phenomenal. I think I really wanted them to go the season unbeaten. I think that would have just been a, a real cherry. We're saying the same thing last season with Sporting. Yeah. You can't take anything away from them. They, they've, been, they've been so, so good. The difference from this team to, to last season's Porto is has been so drastic. And I think that's what's... Luis Diaz was phenomenal. He's left halfway through the season and they've still kept up. I just think that that's, you know, that, that's what I've been most impressed with. Uh, just a really positive Porto that, that, that we've seen. Yeah, I think the word that I've used to describe Porto a few times this season is imperious. And I think that does really sum up this team because they've been very commanding throughout the season. I think they've really taken control of this league from from the very top. They sort of spent most of the season as that team that the other two clubs needed to catch. And I think that's what's been different about them compared to last season. Last season, you felt like there was at least a possibility that Porto could could be the team that was going to slip up out of them and Sporting. You know, you never felt like one team was really so far ahead until the last couple of months. Whereas this season, I never felt that with Porto. I think the last few months of this season, they've been pretty much flawless, as we said, other than that slip up against Braga. That long unbeaten run, 58 games unbeaten. I think that's a testament to that, that mindset that they've been able to achieve and uh, the ruthless relentless nature that Sergio Contessar has really brought to the side. He's made them comfortably the best team in the league this season for me. Well, of course, we should give a massive congratulations to all our Portista listeners. A big congratulations to all the players, staff and fans for what has been an incredible season and a truly deserved title win. Well, let's quickly touch on the game then, Barney, because of course there were plenty of talking points from the match itself. One that I do want to discuss 
And while I didn't want to bring negativity into the chat early doors, I think we can't get away from the fact that really this was quite a poor game of football. And, and, and for me, I think the game of football that we saw on the pitch was emblematic of something of a phenomenon that, that I want to discuss with you, Barney. I know we texted about it a little bit during the week. Um, this this idea that when we get these games in Portugal that, that don't come around very often, you know, only sort of five or six times a season, these big games between the biggest clubs, that in these games, rather than watching two teams come out to play their best football, so often what we see is, is those teams coming out more interested in out shithousing each other is the phrase that I've come up with. I couldn't think of a more articulate way to put it. Where, you know, because this is not the first time this season that a big game between two big clubs has descended into the kind of antics that we saw in this game. You know, players trying to provoke each other, players hounding the referee, staff on the touchline getting themselves sent off. I do wonder why is it that this happens in Portugal so often and not in other leagues where we see the best clubs playing as well as they can against each other and genuinely to me I feel like this comes down to this air of paranoia that I feel around the big clubs constantly and I'm not saying that's their own fault by the way that's not a criticism of them I think you know the poor standard of 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 refereeing and, and the kind of lack of leadership that this that this league has from the top probably fuels that but so often it does feel like when one big club plays another big club they both have this mindset of well I know the ref is going to be against me I know this other team is going to try dirty tactics against me. So we need to get in there first and do it to them before they do it to us. And when both teams go into a game with that kind of mindset, I feel like you end up with a game that, like what we saw on Saturday, really. Yeah, so much of it is down to um, how much pressure, like you mentioned. And because these, you know, these six games a season, there's so much put on them because essentially, you know, you, you lose your points in those games, really. All the other games you play are generally wins. And so the, the pressure of that from... The, the fan base from obviously the significance of, of these points as well. It just all fuels that. And it was a bit of a shame. And I think this, you know, we've had a, a particularly this season in, in this country, BT Sport having the rights to some of the games, that that perspective, you know, I, I've certainly taken a, a different view of it this season because you, you are where there might be a few more people watching. You might, we wouldn't usually watch, watch these games. And I mean, if you look at the specifics of this game, Porter needed a point, didn't they? So they they would they would be very happy to frustrate Benfica. Then you you know to sort of wind them up because they knew they would have to react in some sort of way. And I think that's sort of what we saw. I think um, Pepe was you know there's several times where he he was completely rolling around. And I don't know. Part of me is like, yeah, he was just trying to get the job done. But the other part of me, like you were sort of saying, the world's eyes are on this, and and it, it really let let the side down from from what we saw. There was so much potential of a, a cracking game, but. We, we just didn't quite see it, did we? Yeah, I completely agree. And there is always that that pang of uh, apprehension for me whenever one of these big games is on BT and BT give it an extra push because you kind of know that maybe it's not going to be the best advert for the game that, you know, this league that we know can be great when it is good, it, it is really good. So, uh, but look, I suppose the flip side to that is that it's not the responsibility of the players to market the league. It's not the responsibility of the players to, um, to make people fall in love with them. It's their job to get the job done on the pitch, which credit to Porto, they did in the end. Verismo's team selection was quite a surprise one because mm. I was I was sort of coming around to the opinion that Verismo's Benfica 
I don't know how much this is down to him and how much this is down to the, the players in that team, but the big games, they are, we've seen some good performances from these players. You know, they've, they've been they've been excellent in the Champions League, of course. And when I saw the team section with Gilles Diaz and um, Lazaro on the wings and with Lazaro playing on the left as a right footer and Gilles Diaz as a, as a, on the right as a left footer, that that confused me because it... You know, essentially, the, the, these two players have played fullback for them, and you know that you've got suddenly four fullbacks for Benfica, and whether that was just them a decision to try and be defensive, I don't know. It just it just left it was very underwhelming, and I know they had their um, issues in in terms of uh, player selection, but still, it, just, it was a a really strange one for me, and I think I certainly think it didn't help the game in the sense that you know Benfica were playing a slightly different way to what we've seen them do in the Champions League, where they've been so successful. Yeah, I agree. I just find it slightly strange as well. And yeah, perhaps the occasion got to Benfica as well because obviously they had nothing to play for in terms of the league table. But that idea of allowing their biggest rivals to to win the league in their in their back garden probably led them to make slightly strange decisions that they, they possibly wouldn't normally make. Um, and of course, it wouldn't have been a, a classico in Portugal without a bit of VAR controversy in this game. It came courtesy of Darwin Nunes' goal being ruled out for two centimetres offside. Now, listeners to this podcast for a while will know that my views on this type of incident are well documented. I think that I just don't believe that VAR has the technology to accurately measure uh, an offside decision down to two centimetres. So I would be in favour of something like anything under five or 10 centimetres, just referring back to the on-field ref. That seems fair to me, but I'm interested in what, what you make of it, because of course the other side to that argument is that offside is offside. It doesn't matter whether it's two centimetres or two metres. I agree. I want to. I agree with you. But I think it's too close to the corner. So it's you're getting to the points about what you're calling a. You know what part of the body are you taking Darwin's line from? You know, it was, a, it was more his arm. I thought. So you know, I thought that was certainly the wrong decision, and and it was a shame for Darwin because you know we've been talking about a game lacking quality, but I feel like in this game he he did show quite a bit of quality, and of course and it was a wonderful goal. Yeah, really well taken. You know, to completely turned and member. So. Um, and there was just a couple of moments in this game that Darren was, you know, purring. I thought there was a few. I was one outside of the foot pass that I just absolutely mm-hmm. loved, and yeah. he was playing with real confidence. And because I, you know, I, I know we've we have discussed him a fair few times, but I also feel like I haven't sort of clarified my position on how I think of how good he he actually is, and uh, it's something I've been trying to work out all all season really. And I was hoping this would be the game where he could really put his mark on. If that goal had gone in, you know, and the rest of the game panned out, we might have seen, you know, more sparks of him because he did sort of, you know, the game got a bit too messy towards him for him to have any real influence. But no, I thought he he put in a very good display for um, for Benfica. So yeah, um, I was that that was a bit of a shame for me. Um, but you know, that that's VAR, isn't it? That's what, what happens so often in this league. Yeah, and do you know what? I'll just end this chat by saying a point that um, Patrick Ribeiro from Portugal, who we had a brief chat with on Twitter about this, he made a very interesting point that perhaps uh, the offside rule itself needs looking at because, you know, we're going to just have to live with this idea that a, a, a striker might be two centimetres ahead of a defender and not gain any advantage of that. Let's not forget that the whole point that offside as a rule exists is because you don't want to give an unfair advantage to a striker. So maybe the argument can be that two centimetres isn't even an unfair advantage. So, you know, Well, look, let's end this chat on a positive, Barney, because, of course, this is a a positive occasion. And and we did get one moment of real joy in this game. What was, well, 
an otherwise slightly bitter game when Zaidu Sanusi, the most unlikely of goal scorers for Porto, other than perhaps Diego Costa, scored the goal that won Porto the championship. And he was visibly emotional afterwards. I think he was in tears on the pitch. And I have to say, seeing that, I was I was really touched. That that moment touched me. I, I've, you know, I know you're you've got a soft spot for Zaidu, shall we say? For me, I, I've kind of got on record, I, and I still probably don't quite think he's got the quality to be Porto's left back for the next few years, or or the the quality that they should be aiming for in a left back. But I was taken up in that moment. I thought it was really beautiful to see the way he responded to such an important goal, the passion that he clearly has for that club and the the passion he has for his teammates and the respect he has for his manager. I thought, I thought it was a really lovely moment. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And I think the the goal itself sort of represents, I think, Zaidu's best assets in the sense that, you know, you're 90 minutes plus injury time. And he's busting a gut to get forward, having worked and run up that left-hand channel all game. And I think that's that is that is him. You know, he he might not have convinced you in terms of his quality as end product, perhaps across it, but the guy's work rate. He's just constantly worked, and you know, it isn't. It is interesting to think about him this season because, particularly with the signing of um, Wendell from uh, in the summer from Porto, you know that there was a there was an area of the team that they felt they had to address and bring someone in and then Wendell came in from Germany with a lot of European experience you know playing in the Bundesliga you know he was he was no mug and couldn't really get into the team because Zaidu in my opinion stepped it up and uh, I think yeah I was I was very happy for him it was particularly his rapid rise to the top you know in in this in in Portugal he's he's been at a few different clubs before getting to Porto and he's he's really earned his place in this team and yeah, for him to be able to do that for, for Porto and sort of return the favour in that moment would have been obviously incredible for him. Of course, another Gil Vicente, another former Gil Vicente player playing a decisive role in the title race two years in a row. Zaidu Sanusi scores the winning, the title winning goal in this game and Paulino scored the title winning goal last year, of course. Zach Lowe did a beautiful tweet about um, Tyrab's tracking back for the goal because <laughs> I hadn't really noticed it. No, this is exactly what I was about to bring up, Barney, because there was a lot of talk online comparing Zaidu with Adele Traps. And you know what? I think we should actually touch on this because people who listen to the show know we like to have a bit of fun on the show and know that we have our favourites and and we do like Adele Raps. And that, you know, our praise of him is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. That comes from our love of the player, the myth of the player, really. Um, but we do have to be honest and say that, that was really poor and, he's, and that's a really, really really poor bit of laziness from a Delta Raptor. And when you compare that to someone like Zaidu, who perhaps we've criticised at the same time that we've praised Adele, you have to say that in this game, Zaidu showed professionalism and desire that a Delta Raptor just simply did not show. I, I, Barney can't bring I'm himself to criticise the man. I can't, well, I was just going to say, like, you know, how many minutes left of the game? Porto needed a draw. <laughs> He's like, well, come on, really? Am I going to have to? <laughs> I think it's just sensible. You know, there's no point, is there? Finally, <laughs> <laughs> we're turning into that clip of um, Roy Keane and Gary Neville. His legs are gone. <laughs> His legs are gone. It's two yards, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, um, there is one other player for Porto I did want to briefly mention for this game, I, I, which was Pepe, um, uh, the mm. winger, because um, I felt like, you know, the, the, a few games recently he's been playing, playing right back and then, 
he's, he, he got to play back in his left uh, left midfield, his favourite position. And I just think he looked really good. I think there was a moment in the first half where they were on the break and I think Porter were three on two. And I think in that moment, he could have done a bit better. Um, and maybe that is what he needs improving with him, his end product. But otherwise, I think I've just been really impressed with him this season. And I, and I think there's a lot more to come from him. You know what he also did, Barney? He made himself the star of the celebrations afterwards the videos oh on on instagram and twitter that porto were putting out he was leading the celebrations him and otavio absolutely wonderful i got really on board with all those videos man i loved it the, the scenes in the yeah. change room afterwards constant house smoking a cigar dancing around Bettini at one point is lying on top of the lockers or something in the change room. like <laughs> what's going on there no man it was it was great to see do you know what one thing i love about portugal as well we saw it last year maybe they do it every year i just don't think they do in england you know, Porto play six o'clock to eight o'clock. Eight o'clock, they're in Lisbon. The game ends. They spend, what, one, two hours celebrating in the stadium in Lisbon and getting changed. So maybe they're done by, what, nine or ten. But then that night, they put out a message to all their fans and they say, come to the stadium. We're driving back now. They drive back to Porto. And in the middle of the night, they have this great big yeah, party yeah. outside the stadium with, like, thousands of fans. And they do the all of the players walk out and lift the trophy in front of the fans in Porto and it's going on till three, four, five in the morning. I love that. I just feel like that's something that you wouldn't get in England. You know, you wouldn't get that outside Manchester City mm-hmm. Stadium at 4am. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed it last year as well, sporting, going on that bus tour in the middle of the night. I just think it makes for these really um, natural, uh, joyful scenes amongst the players. It gives shows a real human side to them that I really enjoyed. One thing I got asked about it, there was quite a few players with the, the blue sunglasses and obviously there's the yes. famous Thiago Thomas picture with the green sunglasses last year. Is is the sunglasses a thing in Portugal? Was that sort of like a, a What well, do you think it was a reaction to Thiago Thomas? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Interesting. We'll have to dig a little bit deeper to get to the bottom of that. The only other thing I wanted to add as well, though, is that it did, seeing the cigar, seeing the glasses, seeing the big bottles of Superbock, you know, having all that stuff ready, <laughs> that would make me nervous, man. Uh, you know. <laughs> Do you reckon they've had the would, cigars on the coach for the last three like, weeks? Would you, conscious, <laughs> would you go up to a conscious and be like, shall I pack the cigar for you? And like, you know, I don't know. It just... <laughs> Listen, it was never in doubt in the end, was it? Uh, well, look, let's move on to the next game. And let's talk about Sporting, who I'm sure the fans would have, uh, you know, would have not enjoyed watching Porto win the league. They had to play straight afterwards, so probably went in a bad mood. It was already be a it was already a miserable night for them, and it it almost went from bad to worse. Uh, they played Porto and ends, and after about 20, 30 minutes, they found themselves two one down. But credit to them because they did turn around the result to make it three two. They took all three points, and I think it's fair to say that the arrival of Pablo Sarabia in the pitch about an hour into the game was something of a catalyst. He scored the two goals which turned the game around and got him uh, an important win for their for that team's morale. Yeah, it was I was I was really interested to see how how that game would turn out. And I wonder if all the all their preparation for that game would have been with a focus of, you know, Porto might drop points, we've got to push on and they would have been so fired up for it. And then suddenly to see Porto seared it, there would have been a mm. a slight deflation, I think, from that that sporting team. And I, perhaps we did see that with them going as you mentioned, two one down. Um, I also wonder if you know players like like Sarabia were sort of taken out of the starting eleven just because of you know what we can sort of give 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 Edwards a chance now, give Tabata a chance. You know uh, now that now that the, the league's done. The, the thing with Sporting this season is that they they have 
they have heavily heavily relied on Sarabia. Everyone's sort of accepted now that he won't be here next season, and uh, I think we've just got to appreciate him while he's here, haven't we? He's, he has been so good for them. I think, as you say, most sporting fans are resigned to the fact that he is probably going to leave, and you know, I believe his contract is actually up with PSG at the end of the season. At least that's according to transfer market, but. You know, there is a possibility of him staying, but I, I'm sure there are clubs in Italy and Spain ready to offer him the kind of wages that uh, unfortunately will, will put him out of reach for sporting. We cannot underestimate, though, as you say, the impact that he's had on, on sporting this year, especially in a season where Pedro Gonçalves has underperformed, where Polino has underperformed also, when you know they've only had Marcus Edwards for half a season. To have that talisman that they can rely on is absolutely massive. And, and you know, you take a game like this as an example where he steps up to be that main man on the field and, and gets his team over the line. I think it shows real leadership. The one thing I'm interested in, Barney, is that I'm surprised we haven't seen more rumours linking Ricardo Horta to sporting uh, with the fact that Sarabia is likely to leave. I think, I think he'd be an ideal Sarabia replacement. You know, if you're looking for that, that quality player on the wings... Uh, a goal-scoring winner and a leader, I think he goes a long way to uh, to doing what Sarabia does for them at the moment. That would be my shout. And it's interesting you mentioned Tabata as well. I thought Tabata had a great game. Um, I was surprised. I thought he, you know, he made a claim to to really start over Pedro Gonçalves. I think he offered a lot more than in one game than, than most of what Pedro Gonçalves has offered this season. So there are options that they have on the wings. It'll be interesting to see who sticks around. Um, next season. And of course, we saw another two assists for Marcus Edwards, who yet again, as I watched him, uh, I was thinking the whole time about what this guy could offer them next season. I think he's shown clearly that he has the ability to be a top player in this league. And I think it's an exciting time to be at Sporting as well, because there's a lot of positives in that team, you know, equally improvements to be made. So I think for him as a player on the rise to be in a team that's also on the up with a manager who's kind of increasing his his worth every game. I, I think Marcus is in a good place and I think Sporting, although they will lose players, I think they are also in a good place. You know, there's 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 positivity to be had. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's, it's been very easy to slip into a negative mindset when thinking about Sporting because of them losing the league, but they've had a, a, an equally fantastic season. I think, aren't they on the same points as they were um, uh, when they won it last season? So, you know, they, they've had once again a, a really good run at run at it this year, and part of me feels that Tabata and Edwards perhaps should have played more this season. I I don't know, but one thing that just crept crept to mind, I think Sarabia leaving might be good for Pedro Gonzalez because he he might need to perhaps he liked the limelight, perhaps he liked the to be the main man, and and if you got this guy coming in from PSG suddenly stealing it all, like so yeah, we'll, we will have to see. I think it, like the the future is certainly bright for Sporting. I, I will agree with you there. I think Albert, just quickly looking at this from a Portimonense's point of view, I mean, it was this is the first time they've scored two goals in a game since um, their last game against Sporting, whether which was also a three-two loss back in December. You know, this is a a bit of a, this. Was, I think there was they would have been going into halftime and being like, "What the, what the hell is going on here?" They've 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 certainly disappointed me the second half of the season. And yeah. um, but the positive the positive I would take out of, of this second half of the season would be Wellington Jr. and the sort of getting him mm. back from his, his loan spell in China. I think he's he's looked like a, a, a decent striker. You know, they've, they've been looking for someone like that. And if if, if he can sort of keep up his, his form and, and build on that, because he's, he's, he's chipped him with a fair few goals since he's come back. I think yeah. uh, he'll, he'll, he could be a big for them next season. 
Yeah, I thought they had a decent game. You know, obviously they didn't get the result, but that first half I thought was fantastic. As you say, Wellington Junior, the star of the show, you know, a goal and an assist, I believe. So, uh, or at least he won the free kick that they scored. So, you know, great, great performance from him. It's been a poor second half of the season. You know, we've got some things right this season, Barney. You know, we we predicted good things for 0%. We hoped they, they'd stick around, but we've got some things wrong. And I think Porto Menendez have let us down. We thought they would be up there at the end of the season and it hasn't quite happened. But at the end of the day, for all of these clubs, pretty much anyone outside the top four or five, as long as you survive, everything else is a bonus. Porto Menendez have survived um, and they'll be to just improve on, on this season next year and, and, and try and uh, sustain any good form that they do come into for a little bit longer than they did this season, at least. Oh, well, so quickly, just to bring it back to um, sporting before uh, we move on, with, with the, the last game of the season, I mean, we saw Ribeiro get on in this game, the young striker. Do you want to see Amarin just completely rotate, just get a lot of young players on? Or, or, or I, f- I feel like there's an opportunity there, and I'd like to see. I would like to see some more of the play- the fringe players we haven't seen so much this season. Yeah, certainly, I would. I would happily see that young players rotation. I think you know this is the time when you give those kids a chance. You know, how often have we seen it? Well, in the last couple of days of a season, when a club's got nothing to play with, they give a young player a chance, and he makes a name for himself and and, and becomes a star of of the next season. So yeah, absolutely, I would love to see that. All right, then, Barney, let's go down to the other end of the table and jump straight into the relegation battle because after a series of defeats for all of the bottom three clubs, the relegation places are now confirmed as Tondela, Morarins and BSAD. Now, what order they finish in, however, is still far from a done deal with the slim lifeline of the relegation playoff spot up for grabs for all three clubs. Now, Tondela currently occupy that spot in 16th place with 27 points. Morarins are one point behind them and BSAD are a further point behind on 25. So all three of those clubs, results permitting, could finish in the relegation playoff spot at the end of the season. Now, let's start, Barney, with Morarens, who went away to Estoril this weekend. They started the game week in 17th place and were desperate for any kind of result to obviously keep their season alive. Now, in this game, they definitely put up a good fight, but ultimately they left Lisbon empty-handed after losing 1-0 and falling to their third straight defeat. I don't know what you made of this game. <laughs> there was so much... Um, I, I felt quite emotionally connected to Marrens because I think <laughs> part of it was seeing the images of a Sarpinto um, absolutely distraught last week's game where he was hammering the side of the dugout. Incredible scenes. I mean, what we saw, Albert, I mean, Morrowinds had 18 shots in this game, you know, know. five know. only to five on target, but they were really going for it. And it was heartbreaking. It was because, you know, fair play to Estrel, they, uh, Andres Franco's goal was a really, really tidy goal. Another player who's been great for them, you know, 11 goals, four assists for the season. I actually think when I think about him compared to Chiquinho when he when he left for Wolves, I, I part of me feels like Andre Franco is the, the better player. He seems more technically astute than uh, what I saw of Chiquinho while he was in this league. But I think we saw it in the red card for Estra, right? Where um a player was bombing forward and Vital, the the, the Estra centre back, just just tugged him back, got a second yellow card and and, and was sent off. And in any other game, that would have just been part of it not much of a main but the, the uproar that came from that Morrowind's bench at, at that moment mm, yeah 
it wasn't a it wasn't a good chance. It was just a, a half chance. But that's how desperate they were, weren't they? In this game, yeah. you know, I think you think of those eighteen shots out. I think most of them just went straight down Estrell's keeper's throat, Thiago Rodriguez. And you've got man of the match. But like I was saying, I thought most of those shots were were pretty tame efforts. There was no real quality, was there? And I think that was the story, wasn't it? There was a lot of fight there, but there wasn't enough substance. I mean, you say that was the story of the game, Barney. That sounds a lot like the story of Morrowinds' whole season to me. You know, under Sarpinto, they have really pushed and tried, but there just has not been the quality there to back up uh, what they're trying to do. I mean, you talk about all the stats, Barney. Let's just run through them because some of this is quite remarkable. Um, if you compare the two clubs, Morrowinds, as you said, had 18 shots, and that was compared to Estoril's six. Morrowinds had five shots on target compared to only two for Estoril. Morrowinds had 27 actions in the opposition box compared to 11 for Estoril. Eight corners compared to two. They had more possession. They had an XG of 1.7 compared to 0.2 from Estoril. So there weren't tons of chances, but there were more than enough chances to win the game. And of course, finally, no bigger chance than the 95th minute penalty missed by Jan Mateus. I have to say, Man, I felt so badly for that guy. I think it's not the the first time he's missed a penalty this season either. Oh, I, I couldn't remember the game, but there was a point early in the season where it was certainly would have won the game or earned the draw. So I feel sorry for Jan because he's been one of their better attacking players, right? And then yeah, and that and, and that has been what they've been missing in recent weeks. Obviously, the injury to Morales last game, which kept him out. Where he's, I felt finally was like to show a bit of something for them and. And also Derek Lasserdi, I'm not sure he was match fit, hence why he came off the bench in this game. They were, it does feel a bit of an air of unluckiness about it, doesn't it? I know, it? I know, I know. It feels weird to say, but there was just something about it all, wasn't there? I know what you're trying to say, though. And you talk about things being unlucky. It just felt like a turning point, you know, that a decisive moment, that penalty miss. Mm. I felt in that moment, if they scored this, they got a chance to stay up. And I just felt they missed that penalty. And that felt like a death sentence for... For Morrowinds this season, unfortunately, I don't hold out too much hope for them uh, surviving after that game. And I think looking at Astro Albert, because they've had a brilliant season, haven't they? And I think yeah. the, the, the reason I wanted to, you know, we were talking about quality and attack for Morrowinds, you know, where, where they can get goals from. You look at that Astro team. There's just so many players players who have really, really shown me something this season. You know, Andre Franco, I mentioned Mbula, who they signed in January. And the, the way they play as a team as well, it's, it's very, very purposeful. And I think, yes, they had a, an incredible start of the season. They sort of faded off, but we cannot underestimate what they have done as, as, as a team in this league this season, having been promoted. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you, and. And looking back on some of the things we said about Esther, I feel like perhaps recently I was a little bit harsh on them when I kind of perhaps criticised them from dropping out of the European football race. And that didn't come from a, a place of me trying to be, you know, mean to Esther. I just, I wanted good things from this team that I thought had so much promise. You're absolutely right to point out that it's an incredible achievement for them to stay up. And this feels like Barney the right time to mention, of course, that this week uh, it was it was confirmed that because of the results that these clubs got, that all three promoted clubs will be staying in the Premier League for another season, Estoril, Vizela and Aruca. Now they've all done it in very different ways, but it doesn't matter how you get there as long as they get there. And I think it's a phenomenal achievement considering we only introduced three clubs, reintroduced three clubs being promoted this season. 
I can't, I, I don't know when the last time you can say that three newly promoted clubs stayed in the Portuguese Premier League. I would love to know when the last time that happened was. It would be probably decades ago, honestly. So an incredible achievement, as I say, three clubs doing it in different ways, but three clubs that equally deserve uh, their props for staying up. I mean, Astrum and Vizela, particularly for me, I've just, I've just so enjoyed watching them. I think back to last season, when it was it was Seeding National, wasn't it? It was Ferenc who got who were the teams coming up and I, there was a lot of poor games that they were involved in but the quality of that they and actually I would include Ruka they've had some great games this season as well you know the quality that these players have shown um having been promoted I've been so so impressed with so yeah congratulations to all three of them absolutely well let's talk about the next team involved in the relegation battle Barney let's talk about B-Sad who remain rock bottom of the table after a very traumatic 3-2 loss at home to Family Cow. Now, Barney, when I was writing these notes about this game, I was tempted to write down the word heartbreaking to describe this as a result for Bisa. But then I thought, am I really about to sympathise with this club? <laughs> so in the end, I simply went for dramatic. And I think dramatic is certainly the word. You know, they getting that first goal to take the lead in such a crucial game then conceding two goals to go behind, thinking they've then rescued a point by getting a vital 90-second minute equaliser, only to have it all taken away by a 96-minute winner for Family Cow. A dagger through the heart, perhaps. But like Morens, I think they showed plenty of fight and determination in a vital game. And credit to them, unlike Morens, they managed to score two goals, but when you're conceding three goals at home, it makes it very hard to get any kind of result. And while I was impressed with the players' effort, I don't think you can say the result was unjust. Uh, I would I would go as far to say that B-Sad have shown the most fight out of all the clubs in the relegation scrap this, this past month or so. I think there's been a real turnaround there. And I think... This was always going to be a hard game, particularly with the the amount of suspensions and injuries they had. I think they they had to drastically change their backline, which had been doing so well for them. Um, that Danny Henriquez, who I've been banging on about, who he was he was out of this game, and so um, other players had to come in. And we know how weak they are in terms of squad depth and and, and quality of squad. So Albert, there's a little part of me, and I felt it before this weekend <laughs> that. I, I I can see them staying up. I can see them. <laughs> I think I just feel there's a momentum built, and that's all credit. And Franklin Cavallio is is built this, and it was no surprise to me that um, Barry got on the score sheet again. He's he's looked excellent um, ever since he's watched his way into the team, and so so yeah, I'm going to put my hat on the line, Albert, and I'm going to say it's still not over for Bisa, <laughs> not just yet. <laughs> I think you might be the only person following the Premier League who thinks that, but I respect a left field shout. Well, let's do the last game, Barney. Let's talk about Tondela, who lost 3-0 to Gil Vicente at the weekend. Um, we're going to talk about Gil Vicente in just a moment because they have their own story worth talking about. But just to keep on the relegation battle theme and start on Tondela, for me, I thought they would be more competitive in this game, personally. But I think the first half sending off changes the game. You know, it made, it made the game a whole, whole different tie um, I think they actually did quite well to weather the storm for the rest of the second half, you know. Um suddenly had that second-minute goal ruled out, obviously, and then and then Tondela going man down. They would have been delighted, I think, to go in at half-time, nil-nil. But in the second half, the floodgates opened and, and three goals condemned them to 
a very, very damaging loss. And, you know, the best they can hope for is, is the relegation playoff spot. At least they can say they're the club currently in there. They've got a very, very slim, but they have got a points advantage. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I thought the red card was really harsh. And yeah, I think if you look at Sunday's season, the first half they of the season, they did win a fair few games, you know, and um, and I can include include some of those those cup cup games as well, where they which they've always had great success in. You know, they were they though they won a few, they obviously lost a lot as well. But there was a moment halfway through the season where there was a, a change in mentality, I think, for them, and I think that started with Estran where. And 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 then Nuno Campos has continued it where with the the change in formation and I think the the tactic was to try and get more draws and be a bit more solid and and, and not be so easy to beat because with with the wins were coming heavy losses and I think their tactic was to keep it tight and, and get a few late goals and that worked to some extent you know you think of a few of the late Baselli goals that got them points towards the end of the season but. Going into this game with that tactic, and then for them to get the red card, like you said, that you know, what game plan do you have after that? Because you, you you've mm-hmm. got nothing really, and the floodgates did open. I mean, the reason Aruka um, secured uh, their place in this league is because it's simply down to the head their head to head record with Tondea, right? Mm-hmm. Because um, the only chance Tondea have is finishing on the same points as Aruka, and and because Aruka beat them and drew of them in the season, that means Aruka would stay above them. And I think that's interesting because, Albert, you look at their Tondea's six games against promoted teams this season, they lost five and drew one. And it is a shame because I do think there was there was something in this squad, like I mentioned in the first half of the season, with the, the wins. And I think that that change of tax has, has let them down the second half of the season, unfortunately. It's funny because it's so easy to forget that Tondela are currently in a task of the Portugal final you know, against Porto. So they've shown that there is something about that side. And I think we both agree on the fact that I think we think, I think they've had two good managers this season in Esther and, and Nuno Campos. I think that's two coaches, two coaches good enough to coach Premier League teams. So I'm starting to wonder, and obviously it's perhaps a bit late in the day to say this with only one game week left, whether we've been harsh enough on Tondela really, because we've always kind of given them the benefit of the doubt I've always kind of imagined that they would pull it out of the bag from somewhere, but it hasn't happened. And, you know, in a similar way to, not quite the same, but in a similar way to how Rio have kind of slept, slept, walked into a relegation battle last season. I feel like there was perhaps, maybe not from the team, but from those watching them as a slight air of complacency about Tondela. It's kind of idea that, oh, they'll probably turn it around. They'll probably get just enough to stay up. But it hasn't happened, you know. They are they are in the relegation battle now. The best they can hope for is the playoff. I was going to say that perhaps I fancy them in a, in, a, in a relegation playoff, but then I also said I fancied them to get enough points to stay up, and it didn't happen. So that's what I'm saying about sleepwalking into into trouble. I think they have done that. The quality's not been there, despite the fact that they've got a lot of seasoned pros in that team, and they've had good managers. So. If they do end up going down, and I think an inquest needs to happen about what has gone wrong, because at the beginning of the season, neither of us looked at Tundela and thought that's a team, that's a relegation battle team. I mean, I never thought they would finish in the top half of the table, but I thought they would have enough security and consistency to stay up. Alas, it's not happened. We'll see what happens on Saturday about what position they end up with. Let's talk about Gil Vicente Barney, because as I mentioned, they've got their own story in this game. And and we have to say a huge congratulations to them as this result means 
that European football will be coming to Barcelona for the first time in the club's history. What an incredible achievement that is for this club. We've made no secret of the fact that they've been our favourite underdog story this season. We've rooted from them since the beginning of the season and they finally got their reward set in stone. And what a reward it is for this club. It's an incredible achievement. And I think I've got to admit, Albert, because I, I was texting you before the game, I, part of me was hoping for a bit of drama last day of the season because if they had lost you know it would have been a shootout between them and Victoria in that last game of the season I think that would have been a fantastic game but the reason I was for that was the possibilities because before this win they hadn't won a game since I'm going to call it a famous win at Braga where at that point in the season there was a, a real possibility of them actually catching Braga I felt that the way that they were performing but I think what since then you know, they were, they've certainly faltered. We've seen three losses and three draws. And and I think that was a blip. And in reflection, Albert, I think that was a moment when they, after that Braga game, it was like they've they've reached the top and, they, and they've seen the drop. And if you see what I mean, they, they were sort of, yeah, where there was once no pressure, suddenly there was expectation, right? And they really needed a performance like this game to sort of, where they were back to their best, Albert. They had 90% yeah. park accuracy as a team. Those three players, mate, Samuelino, Fujimoto, Pedrino. You know, we've seen some amazing Champion League games in the last couple of weeks, right? I felt there was moments from these players that wouldn't be out of place in those games, and yeah. But maybe it was the white kits. Maybe they were Real Madrid. You know, maybe that's what I was <laughs> But I mean, for me, Pedrino's a Cifalino, man. I mean, come yeah. on. That was an unreal pass. Fujimoto's goal, what? What a touch. Like, come on. These guys are the real deal. No, I totally agree, man. It was so nice to see those old faces. I'm calling them old faces because, you know, those are the ones that are performing for most of the season. But as you say, there's been a bit of a dip. It was so nice to see those old faces performing again. Even Fran Navarro as well, who, who, who had his goal ruled out, but it would have been nice to see him get on the score sheet. I just, yeah, I completely agree with everything you're saying. Completely deserved result. I think that the team showed up when they needed to. Um and I particularly enjoyed, we were talking about enjoying the Porto celebrations. We were both enjoying the uh, the open top bus tour through Barcelos that the players went on at the end of the game. I loved it. <laughs> um, I saw a picture of um, one of the players with a, a bottle of Jack Daniels just necking that. I mean, I, I, I'm all for the super box, but the hard liquor, I mean, come on, man. That's, uh, that was for the full on. <laughs> I mean that. I mean, but I felt last year when Passos de Ferreira and Santa Clara got to Europe, that 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 felt like a a really phenomenal achievement for both those teams. But mm. the manner that in which Gil Vicente have got themselves to where they are, and 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 the football they have been playing, I think is a step above from what we saw last season. I think mm. the the, the yeah. quality they have shown has just impressed me so much. Great manager, great players, well run club. You know, it's a recipe for success, and they've absolutely succeeded well it's nice to end the show on a positive note I think Barney after a lot of uh, relegation battle chat usually at this point in the show we will be doing game recommendations for next weekend but of course this week is a little bit different because it's the last day of the season and there's only one thing up for grabs and that is of course the relegation playoff so rather than talk about games to watch we're just going to tell you What's happening this weekend, which is, of course, that on Saturday, all three clubs in the relegation battle are playing at the same time. I like it, Barney. It's old school. Saturday at 3.30. B-Sad are away at Aruka, who, let's not forget, have just secured their own survival. Morens are away at Vizela. Exactly the same situation. And Tondela away at Boa Vista. Very similar situation. All playing clubs with nothing to play for 
who've just secured their survival. So this could get very interesting because there's three games there and no one club has a harder task than the others, in my opinion. This is going to be a really exciting and very, very unpredictable last game of the season. I don't know which game. I'm, I think I, I, might, I, I might watch the B-side game. I just <laughs> I feel like the, the fairy tale stories there. I think something's going to happen. I've got a feeling. I'm hoping I'm going to be able to find a stream for like Sport TV 2 and they'll be doing some kind of um, yeah. simulcast, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, I would like that. Well, look, I said it was unpredictable, Barney, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you for a prediction. This time next week, we're going to be talking about the results. What do you think we're going to be talking about? I think if I, if I'm using my thinking head, I'm going to say Maroon's finished in the the playoff spot. And I think um, if I was thinking with my heart, no, that's I was going to say B said it's just for the story. <laughs> man. <laughs> no, I think Maroon's have shown a lot. I think they've shown fight for me, and I think that's I don't know. I feel like they could they might do it. It would just be so good. I'm going to put my neck out on the line, Barney. I'm going to say the opposite. I think two of those clubs get wins at the weekend. I think B side getting a win at Aruka. And I think Tondela get a win against Boa Vista, but I think Morrens will slip up. So I think we'll Ugh. see. I think we'll see Tondela in the playoff spot, B side and 17th. And I think Morrens will finish dead last. There you go. It's 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 in stone now. There's our predictions. We'll come back next week and see how we did. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast. But What we want to do right now is let you know what we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks because it's a pivotal time of the season and me and Barney have got our biggest show of the season coming up. So next week, we're going to do quite a simple show. We're going to do an overall season roundup. Of course, we're going to talk about the relegation battle results, but we're also just going to run through every team top to bottom. Not going to be doing game analysis. We're going to be just talking about each team season as a whole, maybe give them some kind of rating Uh, just so we can give our view on every team of the season. But after that, in two weeks' time, we're back with our biggest show of last season and we predict it's going to be our biggest show of this season as well. The Long Ball Football Awards Ceremony will be back in two weeks' time where we will be crowning such awards as Player of the Year, Manager of the Year, Young Player of the Year, Worst Player, Worst Signing, all that good stuff is going to be in that episode. Plenty of debate, plenty of chat, but it's not just going to be that. We will also be reacting to our predictions from the very first episode of this season. Now, there's going to be some good ones, but there's going to be some absolute stinkers in there. So I don't think we and Barney have even listened back to what we said. So I've forgotten be, what I said. <laughs> I know it's going to be bad, but I think I remember predicting Family Cow finishing in Europe. But anyway, we'll come to that. Uh, so we're going to be doing that plus our teams of the season plus a Q&A. So that episode is absolutely going to be absolutely massive. That's in two weeks' time. So plenty of good stuff to come. The season is not over yet. But for now, that does bring us to the end of this episode. And we should quickly say, if you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to get, leave us a little rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If that's the service that you use, you can leave us also a star rating if you use Spotify. And if you want to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at long ball football but that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time yeah see you next time